You're listening to the Government Huddle Podcast, brought to you by GMARQ. Each episode features a unique discussion led by public sector executive and global government thought leader, Brian Chittister. Experts in all things government from around the world join the show to share their stories and provide insight into the rapidly changing landscape that is the public sector. From digital transformation to workforce issues and even thoughts on policy, nothing is off limits. Come on, let's huddle up. There is a, a such a critical component of data in this space. So oftentimes people think of first people interchangeably use employee experience and employee engagement, and, and they are very much connected, but different. So employee experience is broader, more all encompassing. Uh, and look systemically at the things that are driving the experience of our team members. And those experiences lead to high or low or medium levels of engagement with our team members. And data, oftentimes people don't associate empirical or qualitative data with experience. So I've heard folks say, oh, well, how are we going to do ice cream socials or pizza parties or things like that? And all those things are wonderful. That kind of social interaction is, is great. But there is a very real component around how you measure whether or not the designs or improvements that you are making based on the feedback that you've learned are having the impact and addressing the pain points uh, that you set out to address. Welcome back to the Government Huddle Podcast, guys. I'm your host, Brian Chittister. Optimizing the employee experience is going to be a top priority in 2022 for not only the U.S. government, but for governments around the world. President Joe Biden's recent executive order on customer experience challenges agencies to do more for the American consumer. And this has huge implications, not only for customers of government agencies, but also the employees of these agencies. That's because agencies that are already doing the work of improving customer experience are seeing major benefits when it comes to their employees too, and vice versa. The link between customer experience and employee experience is part of the very fabric of our government. When we think about the delivery of any government service, whether an unemployment benefit or passport service, hardworking employees deliver these services to make a difference in their communities which is why delivering a better employee experience can directly impact the service the citizen is receiving. CX really helps organizations better listen to customers and empowers employees to see the impact of their efforts. Focusing on customer experience is also instrumental to successfully achieving digital transformation and agile workforce initiatives, especially given the fact that agency processes, technologies, and policies can create barriers for both the customer and employees looking to provide exceptional service. And today, employee experience is exactly what we're going to focus on. And to help us with this conversation, I've invited Eris McCautry-Gill, the Executive Director for Employee Experience at the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. She's joining the show to talk about the correlation between CX and EX and what her team has been doing to change the culture around experience at the VA from the ground up. Eris, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Brian, for having me. Of course. I mean, so grateful to have you on, uh, especially in the environment we're in right now where so much emphasis is being placed on experience. And obviously today we're going to speak about, about that. But before we do that, let's kick off our conversation. If you could tell us a bit about what brought you to the Veterans Affairs role that you're in right now. 
Sure. So I joined VA in the Veterans Experience Office a little over five years ago, and I learned about VEO from some team members who had just recently joined uh, VEO. And the office at that time was maybe a year old, if that. So it was this brand new office that was being stood up. And the opportunity that I was able to step into was to help shape and form the infrastructure, the internal infrastructure of the office. So all things budget, personnel, contracts, logistics, anything that didn't fall neatly into one of the other business lines. And the opportunity to be able to help shape and frame, I think what we all knew was going to be such an impactful office uh, was an opportunity that I couldn't pass up. That's a big job. Absolutely. I would not disagree with you on, on that point. Uh, and there were uh, just a, a few folks. The team was still building out at that time. Uh, but the, the deputy chief experience officer uh, at the time, she'd started about two weeks before me. And she and I both kind of had the same recognition of what we needed to do uh, with the office from an internal perspective while supporting the team members who were more front facing. Uh, and, and it was definitely a challenge. Uh, I think that's part of what made it so exciting though. Uh, it almost felt like a startup environment as opposed to what you traditionally think of in the public sector and the federal government space as very traditional kind of process oriented uh, environments. This was one where we had to figure out how to take this new office, align it to the processes that we knew we needed to uh, within VA, but to do it in a way that was innovative and forward thinking and that gave us, again, the, the space to create. And that's not something you always find. Yeah, I mean, especially especially in government. I think one of the things that's really, really cool about your role too is it's really all-encompassing employee experience. I think people start to hear experience and they start to think digital experience and they don't think about really what that what that employee journey looks like internally across uh, across an organization mm -hmm. and i know one of the things you did in this role is kind of spearhead the creation of the employee journey map at the va can you can you talk to us a little bit about that oh yes we are so proud of that employee journey map uh there was a recognition in, in 2019 customer experience started to take off. And there were conversations where essentially the thought was, if we want to take customer experience to the next level, we really need to understand what's happening with our team members. What is the team member experience like? The people who are providing these experiences uh, to our veterans, their families, caregivers, and survivors. And I was charged with creating uh, this journey map and really capturing those key moments that matter for our VA team members. And I will tell you, there was some uh, hesitancy around how we would exactly go about doing that because VA is so large. There are over 400,000 team members that are a part of our workforce. And we decided instead of focusing on a particular subgroup, we said, let's start all the way at a macro level. Let's create a journey map that not only captures each of the, the phases and the employment stages that our team members highlight, but that does it in such a way that any VA team member who picks up this map can see their journey, whether they're a doctor, a nurse, an attorney, a food service worker, somebody who's processing claims, a, a contracting specialist, you name it. In terms of function, tenure, type, we really tried to get a comprehensive voice uh, reflected in that journey map. And we really couldn't be prouder of, of what the team created. 
Uh, and just a, a few points on the map itself. We started with an integrated project team where we had representation from across the department to give us feedback on the best approaches uh, and some of the ways that we were going about collecting information. So we leveraged human-centered design, as we often do for many of our projects in VEO. And that methodology in combination with this IPT really set us up for success from the beginning. Uh, and we had support from leadership from the top from the beginning, which was also very critical. But we wanted to make sure, we didn't want to just go out and do this uh, in a vacuum. We, we, we knew that we needed input, feedback, and perspective from the field and also from, from headquarters. Uh, and so over the course of the next year, we talked to team members all across the country, again, in all types of functions, part-time, full-time, those who were working, uh, remote working before the pandemic, uh, obviously those who had shifted to full telework after the pandemic. Uh, we, we really did try to have a full breadth of team member perspectives captured there. and. The end result was 11,000 different data points that were synthesized into five phases, 23 employees, employment stages, and 30 key moments that matter to our team members. And it's really been helpful, not just in creating that artifact itself, which is awesome, uh, but really in giving us a sense of direction in terms of how we can start putting actionable plans and creating tangible uh, solutions to go around those pain points uh, that our team members identified and also highlight the bright spots that they shared with us as well. You mentioned the pandemic in there and you actually facilitated this during the pandemic. I know it, it started mm -hmm. at the beginning of 2020, I believe, right? But but quickly, quickly flipped, I would imagine in terms of your approach, but I would think that going all digital would have had to help you scale that, right? Absolutely. Uh, generally, when we did human center, when we do human centered design interviews, we travel to the place where we're going to interview uh, people, either veterans or team members, to work to create that level of trust, look people in the eye, uh, and that had generally been our practice. And so we had targeted about nine geographic areas, uh, looking at uh, specific geographic regions that had high areas of homelessness, high levels of suicide, high levels of women veterans, those with really high trust scores and all employee survey scores, middle and low, uh, urban areas, rural areas. So we tried to find the, the right mix again, wanting to make sure that we could capture uh, the perspective of all. And right before we were getting ready to deploy uh, out the team members to, to mobilize us to start traveling, the pandemic hit. And we very quickly had to pivot, pull back all of the travel, uh, look at how we were going to conduct these interviews in a virtual environment, both using uh, video conferencing, teleconferencing for those who preferred that. And what we found uh, was, was quite interesting. We found that some people actually preferred doing it virtually. There were some people who said, I don't, I really don't even want to be on camera. I, I feel comfortable, more comfortable just talking to you uh, using audio. And so it gave us some flexibility in terms of how to best connect with our team members uh, and the, the stories that were shared. Oh my goodness, so proud to serve alongside these incredible people uh, and am so incredibly grateful that they were courageous enough and open enough to share their thoughts, their perspectives, their feelings both from a professional perspective and also from a personal perspective. Uh, it was important to our team from the very beginning that we not just look at this as one-dimensional 
employee perspective, but really taking an approach of the whole person. And to the extent they were comfortable, we asked people to share about their uh, personal personal life, who they are, uh, to give us a little more context into to who they are as people, some of the struggles that might exist on the personal front that might impact how they're able to show up professionally, uh, so that we get a better understanding of what kind of support people need. Uh, and as horrible as the pandemic was, there's always a, a silver lining in things. Um, and as we like to joke around and say, when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade and chocolate cake. And I think we had one of those opportunities with pivoting to doing the interviews virtually, as opposed to looking at nine geographic areas, we were able to connect with people in over 33. And I think that only served to help make our uh, journey map and the feedback that we received that much richer. Were there any stories that really um, stuck out to you as you went through this process? There were a couple. Um, there was a story about uh, from a, a team member who shared that she was going through some personal uh, challenges. She had just experienced a lot of, of personal tragedies. And the way the facility rallied around this particular team member was so incredibly inspiring. She referred to them as her family. She spoke about them the way that we would speak about close family members, like brothers and sisters. Uh, and you could just tell from the tone that they felt so incredibly supported and that there was a space of trust. And, and we were still talking about work. I mean, this is all talking about work things. Uh, but the questions and the responses uh, led us to the story that, that they felt compelled to share. Uh, and, and it was heartbreaking tragedy that she experienced, multiple tragedies that just make your heartache for anyone. Uh, and she didn't speak about it from a negative perspective. Sure, you could still hear the hurt there, but she spoke about it with such hope and with such commitment personally to paying that forward because of how people treated her. And in terms of paying it forward, how she shows up for the people that she cares for, the people that she serves in our veteran community that it just, I mean, it was like past the tissue box. Uh, it, it really just doesn't get much, much better than that. And we also heard some stories of challenges. Uh, I recall one situation where a team member spoke about some of the difficulties of childcare uh, during the pandemic. Uh, so this team member needed to physically report in because they were helping on the clinical side, supporting on the clinical side. Uh, and they had small children who needed to be cared for. And at the time, nothing was open. Uh, and it was difficult for them to find in-home child care as well because of, of everything happening with the pandemic. Uh, and that, too, was a really interesting uh, perspective for us to consider. Again, as we talk about what support is needed for our team members holistically, that was one area of conversation that we actually took back. And whenever we had the opportunity to highlight it, we did to say people are kind of stuck in these places where there are job requirements that may physically require them to go in, but they have obligations at home that need to be addressed as well. And what kind of partnerships can be created or what kind of partnerships already exist actually. And we just need to connect people to the things that are out there in order to help them get some relief. I, I appreciate you sharing some of those stories. And one of the reasons why I, I know myself and others, even in the private sector, 
do what we do working working with the public sector and, and obviously um, uh, people like you as well it, it, that have decided to to serve in, in a public capacity is to be able to do just that it's serve and I think it when you look at roles like that it has to be so rewarding to know that you're able to really directly impact somebody's life on a daily basis just by focusing on what this experience looks like. I, I, I can't imagine there's there's a more rewarding give back than, than hearing some of these stories firsthand. Oh, it's ab it's so incredible. It, it's absolutely incredible. And something in, in addition to hearing these incredible stories, listening to the perspective of our team members, and again, those things that make your heart just swell with pride for being a team member and some of those things that make you say, ouch, we need all of it. Yeah. That's yeah. how we're going to get better and move forward is is by not shying away from the difficult conversations as well. And to the point that you just made about the impact of serving, a lot of the work, as I shared in, in the intro that I have done in my career has been inwardly facing uh, with internal operations and even the work and employee experience, uh, again, really shining a spotlight on, on our workforce. I am a huge believer that everybody's role is critically important. From those who are helping us pull the recycling all the way up to the secretary. Everybody along that continuum plays such a critical role in, in the success of all. And as we look at understanding the employee experience and our team members' uh, relationship with the department, that's one piece that I want to always highlight. Uh, that all of us may not be in those front-facing roles. Uh, and I would say there is tremendous value. Uh, I, I actually just had the opportunity to participate in a program called Compassionate Care, where you get to speak with a veteran directly uh, you know, for 15, 20 minutes. And it, it was just amazing. It was wonderful. Uh, but all of us don't have the opportunity in our day-to-day -to, -day to have that kind of interaction. But that does not make the role that folks play any less vital, any less important. So when we take care of our people, when we take care of things at home, that helps to support those who are front-facing in order to, to deliver the highest quality level of service that we can possibly provide. Uh, and so I, I always try to make sure that I reiterate that point that you don't have to be out front in order to be considered vital. Everything that we do is in, in particularly in service of, of those we serve, uh, our veterans, families, caregivers, and survivors, but also those that we serve along next to. It's important that we invest in each other. I think it's, it's that's such a good point. And it's an ecosystem, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody plays their role and um, somebody under you might be doing something that frees you up so you can be doing something in, in a strategic capacity um, but it doesn't make what they do freeing you up any less. So exactly. I think everybody plays that vital role. I, I want to pivot a little bit. Um, I mentioned uh, earlier that we were going to talk around uh, around experience and, and more specifically around the recent executive order. I'm sure most people listening are, are familiar with that um, impacting how the, the federal government is looking at customer experience. Mm -hmm. But I think you would agree that employee experience plays a, a massive role in what the experience that's being delivered to the customer ultimately is. So sure. in terms of, of some of your thoughts on the recent executive order, how do you see that impacting the, uh, the EX landscape moving forward? For sure. I mean, that executive order was tremendous. 
we were doing virtual cartwheels when we saw that executive order come out uh, because it really solidified and validated so much of the work that is happening across the federal landscape and the customer experience space. And again, kind of referencing back to my earlier point, there's such a close relationship and interdependency between customer experience and employee experience. Uh, and that executive order, in addition to putting some structure uh, and, and permanency, if you will, around that discipline, I think it also sets the foundation and sets up the framework for employee experience as well. And a lot of what we've done at VA with employee experience is following the blueprint of what we have seen, both lessons learned and best practices from customer experience. And so I think, again, this that executive order really sets the tone for how the federal government is going to be evaluating customer experience and our citizens' trust in the federal government. And we are looking similarly at what that means for employee experience as well. Uh, and so a key piece of that we know is measurement. And that is, in the same vein, a very critical part, an integral part of what we're doing in the customer experience space as well. Yeah. You, I mean, you talked about 11,000 different data points that you're able to capture and synthesize, synthesize if I can speak appropriately. That's a tricky um, one. <laughs> yeah. Into, into information that allowed you to build some of these journey maps I have to imagine that that obviously data points are huge when you're trying to build out what the the future experience looks like for your em employees. How are you going ab about creating that culture around data driven decision making and, and execution? So one of my team members, uh, her, her name's Renika Anderson, and she's just a joy. She's an incredible. Um, she likes to when we're on calls to share that uh, Ares likes data. <laughs> she says, I'm warm and fuzzy <laughs> and Ares likes data. <laughs> and she's right. Um, I, I, I do love data. I mean, give me a spreadsheet and I'm a happy girl. Uh, but there is a, a such a critical component of data in this space. So oftentimes people think of, first people interchangeably use employee experience and employee engagement, and, and they are very much connected, but different. So employee experience is broader, more all-encompassing, uh, and looks systemically at the things that are driving the experience of our team members. And those experiences lead to high or low or medium levels of engagement with our team members. And we all want to have highly engaged uh, employees and team members. And as we're talking about data, oftentimes people don't associate empirical or qualitative data with experience. So I've heard folks say, oh, well, how are we going to do ice cream socials or pizza parties or things like that? And all those things are wonderful. That kind of social interaction is is great, uh, either physically if you're able to or, or virtually in whatever form that looks like. But there is a very real component around how you measure whether or not the designs, uh, improvements that you are making based on the feedback that you've learned are having the impact and addressing the pain points uh, that you set out to address. And so being able to quantify the impact is, is huge. It speaks to ROI. Uh, so there's very much a, a, a data component that we are focusing on and emphasizing. Um, mm -hmm. VA has a trust measure that we now uh, measure quarterly. 
with our, our veteran community. Uh, and that's, we call it V-signals, veteran signals. And so again, following that blueprint, we're in the process of developing what we're calling employee signals or e-signals for short. And the same way that we have a trust score with our veteran community, our customer uh, community, we want to create the same thing on the team member side. What are our trust levels and employee recommendation levels uh, on, on our team member side? And that would be designed to work in complement with our all employee survey, the annual survey that comes out, but would be done on a more frequent basis uh to give us a touch point and a pulse check of how we're doing with our workforce. Uh, and so the measurement piece to me is just a huge part of the larger strategy around employee engagement, because we have to know if, if what we are moving out on, what we're implementing and what we're targeting, if it's actually working. That's so cool. I, I want to stay here for a second. Uh, at Genesis, we're we're working on something similar. So it's around building out a customer experience index Obviously, industry has had things like MPS, mm-hmm. um, which are are kind of very high level, and and we're trying to take a look at some of the things that are more specific to driving um, not only empathetic experiences but just delightful experiences in general. And it goes both ways, both externally and internally. I'm really fascinated by how you're not only gauging a good experience for your employees, but what goes into a trust index or a trust signal. So we're we're calling it our beacon our beacon measures, uh, where we are looking at uh, essentially trust in whether or not our team members would recommend VA as some place that that they would want to work. Um, and so when we think about trust, and I'll tell you, we have a lot of conversations around what does that mean? Trust can mean so many different things yeah. to different people. Uh, and, and we're still having some of those conversations. Uh, but essentially, we're looking at do our team members trust that VA will do the right thing, that we are an organization that is dedicated and equipped to deliver, to deliver on VA's mission, uh, and that we have a you know a culture of accountability that there's care for our team members well being so it's broad it's it's pretty broad uh, and I th- I think even still with that kind of framework different team members will interpret trust different ways and I think as we baseline and then start to see trends around that data our team will start to tell us what it means to them and that really is the essence of this work and I think the the beauty and and what is so invigorating to me about this work is that we're following the lead of our team members. We may set out on a particular path, the same as we did with with the journey map and the subsequent actions that we have taken from that, but all of it is team member driven. We are following the breadcrumbs that they give us. And even though we're creating strategic plans and looking at how to weave EX into the strategic framework of the department, we do so, but also do it with consideration and very consciously knowing that we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves because we want to follow the feedback that we get and the insights that we learn from our team. That's impressive leadership. And I'll, you, you touched on something earlier in our conversation and essentially getting to the heart of, you need to be able to see your blind spots, right? Or be willing to see your blind spots because if you're not, you can't, you can't really fix some of the challenges that you have to move forward. And I know that there were probably people in leadership uh, a decade or so ago that probably didn't want to know what the trust index was at the VA, 
um, because I know there's been some challenges in, in mm-hmm. that, in that area, both internally and externally. So, um, first of all, kudos for you for, for jumping two feet in and saying, no, let's figure this out. And, um, let's see where our weak areas are because we need to fix them. We can't just say they, they're there and we don't want to know what they are. Um, kind of ripping that bandaid off and saying, no, let's, let's really dig in and do this. I think that's, that's impressive. Oh, thank you. And I, I certainly am a part of just a fantastic team. And, and as you were talking, it made me think of another one of our team members His name is Corey McCahill. And he's just very even keeled, even in high pressure, stressful situations, just super even keeled. And as we talk about jumping into some of these, the difficult parts of these conversations, uh, he is always a reminder to all of us that it will be fine, that we'll work through it even in the difficult moments. Uh, and that when we kind of, when we lean and pull on each other's strengths, uh, and, and I'm saying this for our internal EX team, but I think it's representative of the larger team, uh, teams that we have within VA, when we lean on each other's strengths and we see that kind of consistency and stability, it just serves as a reminder that even in the what may feel like the darkest of times and the most stressful of situations, the sun's going to come out. We're going to make it through. We take it a day at a time, an hour at a time, a moment at a time if we have to, if we need to. Um, but at the end of the day, growth can be painful, but you're able to look back and reflect on all of the things that you are able to get through both individually and collectively as a team. And I I just, I'm so incredibly proud to be a part of the the EXOM directorate of VEO and at VA, uh, because you're right, it has not always had the best reputation and there continue to be challenges that we work through both internally and externally. But I will tell you, since starting in this work, uh, again, I have just been amazed by the not only the impact that these folks have on the people that they serve, the impact that they have on each other, the innovation, the ingenuity, uh, the compassion and the empathy that is shown. Those are the stories that I get to see and experience every day, in addition to the other things that that people hear. And, you know, VEO was born out of one of those trage- tragedies. Many people may recall uh what happened in in the Phoenix uh, with the Phoenix Medical Center, and from that VEO was created from then Secretary Bob McDonald, uh, and I think the recognition that we needed a group specifically dedicated to the customer experience really set us on a path and set the department on a path to be able to lean into what could be instead of what currently is and to start to think differently and approach things differently in a federal space and still abiding by all of the rules and regulations that we know uh, exist to protect us in the federal space, uh, but really looking at where we could be creative um, and think about how to operate and uh, operate differently uh, in the environment that we're in. I think, I mean, going back to what you were saying, it's always important to have somebody like that on your team that can remain even keel and because um, it, it keeps people steady, I think, in those moments. And it, it's excellent to to have somebody there. And you touched on, obviously, the journey maps you've, you've been working on, as well as um, indexing where you are around some of the some of the, the signals happening throughout. What are some of the other priorities that you're taking a look at right now? 
So as you can imagine, after we got all of the insights from the journey map, there were no shortage of opportunities for us to pursue. Uh, and we had to figure out what are we going to prioritize because this is huge. Uh, and there's so many different directions that we could go. And we worked with uh the VA Employee Engagement Council that is chaired by VA's Chief Human Capital Officer, uh, who's fantastic, uh, and also working with uh, the Executive Director uh, for the National Center for Organizational Development. Uh, and using that governance body, we were able to look at all of the different stages of the journey map, the different areas of opportunity, and since that group is comprised of representatives from across the department, we said, go to talk to your teams, talk to your folks, prioritize them, and then come back. And as a group, we're going to settle on what we think we need to focus on initially, just to give us a starting point. And so onboarding was an area that there was just kind of broad agreement that we needed to put some attention on onboarding, that the initial experience that our team members have is not always the one that we might want them to have. And then following the discussion with the VA Employee Engagement Council, as a department, we agreed to focus on developing my career, learning new skills, and receiving feedback on my work. And so individually, each organization is working on advancing those three priorities. And in addition to those three, we also, the EX team, started working on a couple of deep dives. So again, using human-centered design, we went back out to team members and said, we're going to look at onboarding at a headquarters level, and we're also going to look at developing my career. And we that's kind of a, a broad one. So we said, let's scope it down a little bit. And the chief learning officer at the time asked if we would look at program analysts. Another broad series can be... Um, just a mix of things. And so we talked to team members, we developed journey maps for both of those. And coming out of those efforts are some projects and prototypes that I am just super jazzed about. For onboarding, we know that first impressions matter. Team members said, when I have a positive onboarding experience, it's actually not that memorable. But when I have a negative experience, I remember every part of that. So and true. Isn't it? Isn't it? It's so that, true. How do you give folks a warm welcome that when they come in, they feel like, oh, yeah, I made the right choice. That's the feeling that we want for everybody coming in. Yep. And there are some parts uh, of the department where onboarding is, is going wonderfully, uh, but we know that that's not consistent across in, in all of the areas. Um, and so one of the things that we are doing is we're, we've created a welcome kit. We're calling it Activate. And if you can imagine the V and the A capitalized to play on the department acronym. My marketing brain loves it. <laughs> I'll have, to, I'll have to send it to you so you can see. Uh, we're still testing and we're in, in the process of finalizing it. Um, but essentially, this Activate new employee and or transfer team member kit includes information that our team members shared. It would have been really helpful to know when they were first starting out. There's a welcome letter that speaks to the intentionality of wanting to have that person as a part of the VA family to say, we're glad you're here. There's key information uh, that will help them navigate the process, checklists, so they'll have phone numbers and names so they know who to go to for what and to know what to expect. We heard managing expectations was also a pretty big deal. Um, 
For those who are familiar uh, with the government spaces, I'm sure in other sectors as well, we like to talk in alphabet soup, lots of acronyms. So we have just some of the, the more commonly used acronyms in the department. So something to kind of bring down the anxiety of joining this, this new team. Uh, this this new department. And so we're looking to pilot it uh, at our headquarters level to start. Uh, but then what we'll do, once we get the feedback from putting it in practice and, and again, getting the feedback from the team on how it's received and what we can tweak, the goal really then is to scale it out. How can we take this and then make it usable across the department? How can we take it and make it usable for other agencies who might be interested in doing the same? I mean, that's another big piece of this work is knowing that we are one federal government. And even though we're in separate departments, there are many efforts that are, are cross-agency initiatives. And if there are things that we are learning, things that we can do that we have developed that are helpful to another sibling agency, by all means, take it and tweak it. Uh, there, you know, no need to recreate the wheel. And if there's, again, if there's information that we've learned Certainly some of it might be VA specific, uh, but there are other parts of it that reflecting on our own careers, you know, those of us who are working on these projects who have worked in other agencies as well, we look at it and think, yeah, kind of agency agnostic. If I was here at a previous agency, this would apply to me. Uh, and we're thinking similarly um, to the, the projects that we're currently working on. And another one that coming out of the onboarding uh, Deep Dive is a buddy program. Many people said, VA is so incredibly large, can be a little intimidating and overwhelming. Uh, and as I'm coming in, sometimes I don't know what I don't know. I might be afraid to ask questions because I'm afraid somebody will think I should know that already. Uh, and so we've created a buddy program with a playbook to help give some structure and direction for what a buddy program might look like to give new team members and transferring team members a safe space. And we've started it uh, Actually, with NVEO, we kind of just did a little bit of a test run. And what we found is that not only new team members coming into VEO, but even team members who are transferring between teams have found benefit in a program like this. And so we're looking to pilot it uh, with another group within VA uh, very soon. And again, similar to the welcome kit. We're creating the foundational pieces, but then we're also creating a customizable addendum. So we want there to be a level of consistency that our team members can experience, but we also know that at the local level, there's a different culture that might exist or different facilities have, have a different vibe and we want them to be able to put their stamp on it as well. So we'll give them the pieces that need to be consistent, but also allow them the flexibility to customize it in a way that makes it authentic to that particular team. Uh, so really excited about, about those two as well. Uh, and then I'll just very quickly on the developing my career. Uh, we started that one after the onboarding, so we're not quite as far ahead on that piece. Uh, but two of the things that we're working on in that space are a monthly ask me anything. And I think this probably exists um, in, in other places as well. In fact, I'm sure it does where you have access to senior leaders. And also our team members said they would like access to some of our um human resources professionals just to ask questions about the process and uh, figure out things that feel like a black hole to them, figure out what's happening in, in that particular part of the process. Uh, so we're excited about that piece. And also addressing feedback that we heard from our team members, not only around unconscious bias, but also in just wanting to have sometimes a clean slate and a fresh start. 
So we're looking at anonymous job applications and we're hearing discussions about blind applications popping up in, in, in different parts across federal. Uh, but we are really excited to begin to dig into that space and see how, if we take out certain information, how it impacts selections that are made. And because we can't uh, tackle it all, we're going to start actually at the executive level. And we are really just beginning to have uh, those conversations with the relevant stakeholders. But I think there's tremendous opportunity there for us to look at how we can advance our uh, idea efforts, inclusion, diversity, equity, and access efforts, uh, particularly when we hear conversations about representation and leadership. Uh, and, and again, addressing the concerns about unconscious bias. I think this gives us a platform and a way uh, to be able to try something different, try something new and see if it has any impact on both of those. And while we certainly know it, it won't fix every problem or, or the entire um, hiring process, what we really want to highlight and focus is the fact that every step taken is a step forward. And that even when you may not be able to change the entire system or the entire thing, even the changing of entire systems has to start somewhere. And so we want to make sure that we're doing our part to help move those needles forward. You guys are obviously working on a lot of things right now. I'm As you were talking, I became really curious, how much do you lean on other agency success, even outside the DOD environment? around some of these very similar processes to to kind of fold in to the VA and at the same time, the private sector. And I think you, we've, we've talked earlier about how your, your role is not only big, but I think it's unique because you play across multiple different theaters, right? You're not only working with administration and, and folks in, in general office roles, but you're also trying to support physicians and people that are meeting with patients every day. And that's a very different type of role and experience than most federal uh, civilian type of agencies would provide. I would have to imagine that some of the, the private sector, um, maybe hospitals out there, or even public sector in the form of, of academic hospitals might be able to be a little bit of inspiration around how they handle some of these things. I, I'm just curious kind of how you handle that. Yeah, so we have a, a CX Tools and Implementation Directorate that is phenomenal. It's a group of rock stars, and they are specifically focused on the experience around patients, benefits, the cemetery uh, administration, that experience, and also uh, working with the Board of Veterans Appeals. And I think you're absolutely right. One of the other key pieces of the CX framework, and again, we have adopted it in EX as well, is learning from industry. It is seeing what best practices are out there. Uh, and I will also add, it's looking at best practices, but then it's putting them or looking at them through the lens of the government. So we have also learned uh, through the evolution of VEO that there's some wonderful ideas out there, but unless you look at them through the lens of public sector space, they may not always be successful. That's such a good distinction because we we talk about that all the time. We have, we have folks come on here all the time that do talk about influence that the private sector can have, but you're absolutely right. There, there are some things that just don't translate. 
And, and that's where leaders like yourself have to be able to be that filter to say this, this could work, but really we, we, I'm not sure we could feel, facilitate this. So I, I love that distinction. Absolutely. It's, it's huge. Uh, you can have the, the most wonderfully designed solution and see it fail, uh, because the necessary support and infrastructure isn't there to support it. And what I think the the way that VEO is structured, and I highlight that group in particular, uh, since you mentioned the clinical staff, they have been very intentional about engaging with highly successful healthcare practices and leaders in the healthcare space uh, in partnership with our um, with the VHA or the Veterans Health Administration leadership as well to see how we can learn from industry, but do it in a way that will make those practices successful within the VA environment, within the VA ecosystem. And so I think it's critical that we keep that rotation, keep that window and of learning open, that we have relevant conversations, both with industry partners and other agencies, because at the end of the day, we're all trying to have the highest level of service that we can provide or create the best products depending on your industry. But we can all learn from each other. And in my experience so far uh, in this space has been just wonderfully collaborative. Everyone has been so open to sharing of ideas, to discussing what has worked, what hasn't worked, to talk about how tweaks might be made to one particular area to make it fit. Uh, and I think that's going to be, that's going to continue to be a really key piece of how we move forward. And, and even the establishment of employee experience at VA was done in partnership. So we work very closely with our Office of Human Resources, Office of Security, uh, Operation Security and Preparedness, uh, and also the NCOD team that I mentioned before. Uh, one, because VA is so large and we want to make sure that we are moving in an integrated way. But the perspective that each group brings, knowing the different uh, areas and processes that they work in, it just helps to make a more robust discussion and subsequent action taken uh, from from the paths that we're we're currently looking at or and working on. So I think it's critical uh, that we continue to engage private sector partners who are working on these things, both on the the healthcare side and also, looking at benefits, looking at employee experience, what can we learn from other agencies who are uh, looking to do similar things? And also what can we share that might be helpful to them along their journeys too? So obviously in, in your role, what you're doing as well as kind of looking into the future to, to figure out certain issues that, that you might need to overcome and um, honestly predict what your employees are going to need in terms of an experience to make it a better experience for them. When you take a look at your industry, what do you see as, as one of the biggest challenges or, or what are a few of the challenges over the next five years, 10 years that you think uh, you or someone in your role would face when they're looking to develop strategy and implement uh, a successful employee experience for an organization? There are a couple of things that come to mind. Uh, that's a really good question. One of the things uh, that I think is already starting to shape this landscape, but I think it will continue to evolve and mature and heavily influence a lot of what we see across federal 
and that again is the idea work that I mentioned before, inclusion, diversity, equity, and access. Uh, we started a project called Identity Insights, and I am so incredibly proud of the work that this team, and we do it in partnership with the Office of Resolution Management, Diversity, and Inclusion at VA. And essentially, we've set up listening channels, and we're just starting with eight groups. Uh, recognizing every voice is important, but we're starting with eight uh, and talking to team members who self-identify as a historically underrepresented uh, member of an underrepresented community. So LGBTQ+, Hispanic women, uh, Black African-American, AAPI, uh, individuals with disabilities, uh, and trying to understand directly from them, not making assumptions, what their experience has been at VA and if any of those identities have impacted that experience. Uh, and, and so taking that intersectional lens uh, and applying it to this work has has really been um, quite eye-opening. And again, people feeling comfortable sharing, but also requiring that we take action with what we're learning. And I think that work in their executive orders, as you know, around uh, advancing racial equity and idea uh, I think those things are going to continue to shape uh, how we go about this work and how we think about each of those pieces, not just specifically in the people space, but really across the federal landscape. Uh, and so I see that as a theme that will continue over the next course of the next five, 10 years as we reevaluate policy uh, and things that have shaped the federal government for quite some time. I think we're going to start to look at it with a, a different lens and think about it from a different perspective in light of all of these efforts that are currently in flight. I also think we're going to continue to see, and when you talk about a challenge, I see it as a challenge, but in a good way. I think we're going to continue to see a shift and a push around measurement and how we can measure the impact of what we're doing. A lot of things, and, and we, we, we touched on this before, particularly with employee experience or things that are more people focused, oftentimes when you are faced with financial constraints, sometimes the people, what I'm using my air quotes, the people things are some of the first things to get cut because they are considered nice to haves and not must haves. And one of the challenges that we have is to show why this is a must have. Making these investments in our team, making these investments in our people further productivity, enhance the experience that we're able to provide. And we know this from, from industry. We've, we've seen how investments in the workforce, investment in the team, show an increased productivity rates, show an, an increased bottom lines if you're in the private sector. We want to be able to create the same kind of business justifications in the public sector to show how there are substantial and justified business reasons for this investment. Aside from, it's just the right thing to do. Let's take care of our people. At the end of the day, that's what it is. But yeah. there's also a tremendous business case for it as well. You're absolutely right. And and one of the things that, that people forget about in, in those moments is how much does it cost to hire and onboard a new employee? And exactly. when, you have, when you have happy employees and engaged employees that are really have built themselves up around the mission, they're not leaving. And now mm -hmm. you're not having to recruit 
and and hire and onboard a new employee. And there's a very tangible business cost to that. And I think that's an important piece of that ROI that gets forgotten in those moments when you do cut programs like that. Definitely. Definitely. I could not agree with you more. Um, and when you talk about folks who want to stay, that reminds me of another insight that we learned that I thought was just a wow moment. Our team member said, just because I don't want a promotion or a leadership role doesn't mean that I don't want to be invested in. Just because I might love my job, I love the people I work with, I love the people that I work for, I love the people I get to engage with, I really want to stay right here, but that doesn't mean that I'm stagnant. It doesn't mean that I don't want to be invested in. And so how can we look at creating a space for people who want to stay, who really love what they do, and allow them the opportunity to innovate in their current roles. And so I think that's a that was a really interesting perspective that we all kind of walked away from going, you know, normally we we harp on leadership development programs and how do we get you ready for this next opportunity? And I think that was a bit of an aha moment uh, for many of us where we said, okay, well, how do we invest in people where they are? As we're starting to wrap up, it's not lost on me that um, it's March, it's it's Women's History Month. Um, and at the same time, it's actually International Women's Day. Yeah. Um, it happens to be March 8th. Um, but I, I love asking this question to to female executives that come on here um, because it's, it's, it's a passion of mine. I know we've spoken. It's a passion of yours. Um, would love for you to leave some advice for women that are, are just getting into the, the government technology space, have been in it for a while. Um, it really doesn't matter. What are some lessons that you've learned throughout your career that you think could benefit them and any advice you could leave, I think would be so important? You are right. Uh, I, I do feel very strongly uh, about advocacy on many levels. Uh, and the first thing that I would share is trust yourself, trust your instincts. There's oftentimes a lot of feedback, uh, wonderful pieces of information. One of the things that I had to learn over the course of my career is Take those pieces of wisdom, take the information that's given to you, but run it through your own filter. Figure out how it applies in your own way. You don't have to emulate fully what you see because there's only one of each of us in this world. And that's how we should show up. We don't need to have duplicates of other people. How we are in the way that we show up is exactly how we're supposed to be. And so trust yourself, trust your instincts, and don't let people make you doubt yourself because that will happen. Uh, as a woman, as a woman of color in particular, I think it is incredibly important. And even more than that, there's an obligation that we have to one, have these conversations with other women who are in the workplace, who are figuring out their next steps, evaluating their current roles. There are so many inspirational women that have been a part of my journey who have helped shape me uh, and who have poured into me and invested in me. And that has created a sense of obligation and responsibility that I have uh, to make sure that I pay that forward and that in the way that I am standing on the shoulders of so many incredible trailblazing women, 
I need to do my part to make sure that there are others who can stand on my shoulders. Uh, and I take that very seriously. There is tremendous talent uh, in the workforce. Uh, there are so many women that I speak with who, I mean, just brilliance oozing out of them. And we have very real conversations about how do you achieve work-life harmony? What might be the barriers that exist that might be preventing me from going where I'd like to go? And of those barriers, which ones are external and which ones am I imposing on myself? So we also have to have some very real conversations with ourselves about assumptions that we might be making of how people may perceive us and what we may need to do. I have found that we apologize for a lot of things. We're, we're trying to make everything work. And so we almost apologize for trying to juggle so much and we need to stop. Apologize for sure for the things that you need to, 100%. But we need to be okay with asking for what we need and not being afraid to step into our authority, to step into the roles that we're in, to embrace the sphere of influence that we have, and to be unapologetic about who we are. And that to me, once we start to really embrace, accept, and just truly find joy in the talents and the gifts that we bring and recognize that even though there might be other people with similar strengths, nobody else is going to bring exactly what I bring to the table. That's when I think we really start to see people shine. I think, I think that's, that's great advice. I, uh, over the weekend, I was watching uh, a feature on, on ESPN talking about Don Staley, who, for those who don't know, is the, the head coach of the women's basketball team for South Carolina. Um, but, the best team in the country right now. And um, the story was about, uh, it started with Carolyn Peck, who was the first uh, black coach to win a women's basketball national championship back in 1999. And after she became a commentator, after she retired, identified Dawn Staley as just an incredible talent when she was coaching. And she made a point mm -hmm. to go to Dawn and she gave her a piece of her national championship rope. And she said, all I want is when you win yours, you give this back and you give a piece of yours to someone else and inspire yes. that next generation. And the incredible part of this story is Dawn Staley won her national championship. It took, it took a, a few years, won her national championship, and she sent a piece to every female black coach in the country at the, wow. the Division One level to inspire all of them. And the wow. story really reached out to every coach to talk about what that meant to them and what the, the inspiration and the drive that it's given them. And I think you, you, the narrative that you had around you stand on each other's shoulders couldn't be more true. I think everybody, everybody takes a step forward and we're all standing on, on somebody else's shoulders, whether, I, I mean, whether it's myself, you, anyone, we're all standing on somebody else's shoulders. And I think to identify that and to do your part to move it forward is is an important uh, important piece of what we do while we're here. So um, I think such a great such a great way to to end today's show. I, I appreciate that. Any final thoughts you want to leave with our audience before we wrap up today? Brian, thank you again 
so much for this wonderful opportunity. Uh, I feel like we could be sitting here talking for hours. There, there's so many things uh, that, that we've touched on that, that are so relevant uh, for today. Uh, and I think if there's anything that I could share with folks um, as we're departing is to just remember that it's easy to get caught up, get caught up in the day-to-day, in the transactional pieces of what we do with work. But we're talking about people. And once we sign off the clock and, and close our computers and laptops, I do hope folks are finding time to unplug. I know that can be a challenge sometimes. But it's important to remember that their lives outside of work, whatever that looks like. Uh, and I think once we remind ourselves of that, and I know a lot of people do, and I'm seeing it happen so often, and it, it's just really heartwarming, that level of, of empathy, when it shows up in, in the workplace and how we work, it does so much to really propel the teams and the work that we're doing forward. And it seemed what seem like small things uh, can have such, such a tremendous impact more than we even know. And there was a, a team member um, or we were having a call with a team and I'll, I'll leave you with this with another agency. And one of the team members from the other agency kind of downplayed her role in something that she had done. And I just, we're just in conversation. And I just very quickly said, hey, every part, every part of this is important. And what you just did is really important. Don't underestimate the impact that you have. And she sent me a note offline afterwards um, to thank me for reminding her about her value to the team because she said that was something that she sometimes struggled with. And in that moment, I didn't, I didn't think of my comments as being that impactful, but they were for her. And she didn't realize it, but the note that she sent me just made my day because it helped me remember that even the smallest of things can have such a big impact. And so never forget what we can potentially do to help uplift each other. Yeah. And I imagine it it, it inspires you too. It keeps you going. Thank you again so much for taking the time to to talk to us. Like you said, we could have been here for hours talking about this. Um, I love the conversation, but so grateful to have you on today. Thank you, Brian. I really appreciate it. This has been the Government Huddle Podcast. You can check out more episodes of the show by heading over to govexec.com backslash podcast or wherever you access your podcasts. And feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter at Chittastray B. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye for now.